two-minute teaching, training, missions reports, and today we have a, a special missional opportunity. Our good friend Eric Kirkfleet's with us today, and um, Eric works for the Alpine Group as an attorney, uh, but he has a special thing that the Holy Spirit, I believe, has laid on his heart, and he was sharing with um, a men's group that we have together about this opportunity that, that he feels like the Lord's put on his heart, and I was just like, man, I want our church to hear about that. Um, because we really don't have anything we give to in this particular area of ministry. So uh, just be prayerful as Eric shares uh, this really cool opportunity. Thanks, Pastor Dave. Uh, as Pastor Dave mentioned, I'm Eric Kirkfleet. I'm with the Alpine Companies, um, and we have a nonprofit organization, a 51C3 called Alpine Cares. Um, and our goal is to be a part of the solution for providing housing to those most in need. Uh, here in Sioux Falls and in the core of Sioux Falls. So um, one way we do that is partner with other organizations um, like uh, Community Outreach and some other organizations um, that provide uh, people or, or give us referrals to people that really need uh, housing and, and have difficulty in finding housing elsewhere. Um, and another organization that we're partnering with now is Call to Freedom. Uh, their mission is to provide assistance to uh, will pull people out of human trafficking and then provide assistance to them for their life. Um, and so they had their annual breakfast last week and they identified as one of their primary needs is, is additional housing for those human trafficking survivors. Um, and so we're partnering with them to uh, buy some small multifamily properties um, that we can lease to them um, and then that they can allow their human trafficking survivors to to live in at a discounted rent. Um, and so we're out raising awareness for Call to Freedom. Um, I don't know if anybody's seen this Sound of Freedom movie, but there's, um, it's a dark, dark world um, that uh, human trafficking, uh, it's a difficult world. So we're out raising awareness for that. And then we're also um, raising money for uh, a down payment for the purchasing of these properties. Uh, so that we can provide the housing to the Call to Freedom survivors. So we're asking for prayers, um, and we're also, if anyone's interested in getting involved in any way, you can send me an email. Uh, it's eric, E-R-I-C, at thinkalpine.com, or I'll be around after the service, and I'd love to talk with any of you. So thank you for your time. Awesome. Thank you, Eric. I know several of you have talked to me about um, getting involved with human trafficking. I mean, obviously, when we hear about it, we, we recognize, boy, this is something that Christians need to be involved in. And this is a great opportunity uh, for us as a church, at least to be prayerful. Um, but I think there's opportunity for us to do something there as well as far as providing housing. So please be praying for that. Okay, um, let's read the scripture. Uh, Amy's going to come up and read the scripture, and then Jack's going to come and preach. The scripture reading today is from Ephesians 6, 10 to 19. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present dark darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. 
Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. One of the, um, before I begin, let's let's just pray again. Here. Father, I thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit, and I pray that you would help us not to take that gift lightly. For it's your Holy Spirit who gives us understanding can speak into our hearts the, the truths and the things that you have for us. It's your Holy Spirit that can bring conviction. It's your Holy Spirit that brings the life of Jesus into our lives. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need your presence. We need your power. And I can't help but think of the words of in Zechariah, that it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my holy, by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts this day and change our lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So many times when we talk about spiritual warfare, we think of this scripture. Now, I, I, I chose this passage, and there's so many that we could, you could look at, and I have a lot of scriptures to, to look at. And, and one of the things I want to do here is not so much about the armor being like a shield and the sword and, and all of these things, as to what the references that those things refer to, which I think are very far more important than just understanding what those actual uh, weapons are. But the thing that I like, the, uh, that I want to, to focus on at this point right here is that it's, it's this statement, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the sports, forces of wickedness, in the heavenly places. This is something we don't, we can't see. But the powers of darkness, the powers of the evil one are organized. There's a hierarchy of them. 
they exist, they're real, and they wage war against everyone who's a believer and against anyone that even thinks they want to become a believer. In, in, the, in, in just living, when you have a, a problem with another person, it really isn't that person. There's something that's going on behind that. Because we were not created to fight each other. We were, we were created to understand the things that really go on in, in, behind the scenes. You think about Job. Do you think he knew what was going on? He didn't have a clue. He didn't know what was going on in the background behind everything. He didn't know that Satan was coming before the Lord, making an accusation against him, telling him, you got him so closed in, he, no wonder he serves you. You're protecting him all the time. He didn't know all this stuff was going on. But what did Job do in the end? He was faithful. I have this hunch uh, that God is building a monument out of each one of us right in the presence of the God of this world, which is Satan. And he is the God of this world. That's what Jesus called him. That's what the scripture calls him. But I have a hunch that God is trying to build a monument out of every one of us as believers, right in the presence of the enemy, right in his domain. That's what he did with Job. And that monument itself stands for an eternal praise unto God forever because Satan couldn't destroy it. I think of the words that are spoken at one point in the scriptures here. It says, if the powers that be, if they had only known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't know what was going to really happen. I want to look at this. This passage that was just read here, a few things here. It says, it says, you put on the full armor. Why? That you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Therein is the problem. We do all these things. We go all these things. We think, you know, we, you can actually say, I put on the, bre the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. You can do all this stuff. Nothing wrong with that. But after you've done that, during the day, all the things come at you, the difficulties, the struggles of work, the struggles at home, the problems that you face yourself, and if you don't stand firm and faithful, what good does it do to have all that stuff on? That's one of the key things of this passage. Having done all, stand. Don't give in. Don't surrender. The passage talked about truth. Jesus said you should know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How are you going to know the truth? We have it right here. 
the Bible. That's the truth. If you don't know this book, how are you going to know truth? If you don't read it consistently, daily, if you don't put it in your heart, how are you going to know the truth? Righteousness. How are you going to know anything about righteousness if you don't look into the truth? How are you going to know that Jesus made you righteous if you don't know the truth? And how are you going to have peace if you don't know this word when it says, having been reconciled with God, reconciled with God, we have peace with him. Reconciled means the differences have been taken away. The enmity has been removed. I'm no longer an enemy with God. God is no longer at enmity with me because the price has totally been paid. Therefore, I can have peace. How are you going to know that if you don't know the truth? Faith. How are you going to know what to believe in if you don't know this? We talk about the shield of faith, and I, I want to just take a little sideline here because I think it's, need, I, I think it's needed. The, the evil one, I'm going to do it right here. The evil one cannot read your mind. He's not all-powerful. He cannot read your mind. Now, you can say, sure seems like he can. He's a great observer. All he has to do is watch you. The demonic world watches you. Watches you closely. Knows what triggers you. Knows what irritates you. He'll throw things at you. Some you don't respond to. Meh, doesn't use them anymore. Some you do. Some you react to. And then he says, ah, oh, I got them. <laughs> they, they really reacted to that one. So he knows what, what temptation to put at you. You know, the devil doesn't tempt me to steal something, walk into a store and steal something, because he knows it's just not going to happen. It just it never has. It's just not going to happen. But he knows what the temptations to throw at me that could happen. But you take, but you, the scripture talks about here the shield of faith. The shield of faith will hold. If, if you know your own weakness and the evil one throws something at you to, to get you to, to sin in that way, the shield of faith stops that arrow before it gets to you. And you resist it immediately. That's what the shield of faith does. If you think about it, entertain it, you've already lost. So when Satan throws the things at me that, that, that used to tear me down, I, don't, I, don't, I stop them immediately. My, one of my favorite verses in the spiritual war, take every thought captive 
to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Every imagination, every image, every thought, every idea captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Again, it comes back to this. How are you going to know what the obedience of Jesus Christ is if you don't know this? Salvation. How are you going to know you're saved if you don't know the truth? I keep coming back to this because this is so important. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Here it is again. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Why in the Spirit? Because it's not by might, it's not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. See, there are things, there are things we can't accomplish. There's things we can't do. There's things I, I don't understand. There are times when I feel so, so out of it, so down, and I just, I just say, Lord, you said the Holy Spirit is my comforter. I don't know how you do that, Holy Spirit, but you're the comforter. Do it. I need your comfort. And you know something? It works. Don't ask me how to explain that. I can't. But he's the comforter. And when I call out to him to bring that comfort to me, he does. One of the first things I hear when I call out to him like that is, is the Holy Spirit saying to me that the words, the words here, be still and know that I am God. It says also, be on the alert. That's one of the things that I'm not sure that we know how to do a lot of times. You be on the alert through prayer. You be on the alert through understanding the word. You be on the alert by, by, by being in the word. You be on the alert, again, again, by being in prayer. That sets your mind on the things of the spirit. You set your mind on the things of the spirit. You set your mind on the things that are, that are right, that are lovely, that are pure, that are good. If you get your mind so set on a television program, a movie, sports, I'm not saying that any of these things are wrong, but they could be. If you get so caught up on all of these things, are you really being alert? You know, I have a lot of videos. Some of them I can't even watch anymore. Not since May 19th, I can't. I can't watch them because there's things in there when they come on they come on the screen or words that are saying I just I can't listen to that I can't watch it turn it off and I don't watch them that's one way you can be alert there are things you don't need to see there are things you don't need to hear <clears throat> I don't need to hear a movie where all they do is take God's name in vain curse Jesus constantly use filthy language. I don't, need to, I don't need to hear that stuff. That's not keeping me alert. That's dulling the, the, the edge that, that I have. I don't need that kind of stuff.
why, why, why do things happen in this world that are not good or pleasant? I think there's two reasons. Number one, this world has fallen. It's messed up. And bad things can happen to good people. You can go through heartache just because the way this world is. You can go through difficulties just because the way this world is. Things just don't go the way you wanted them to go. But I think there's also another reason. Demonic influence. Demons watch, like I said, demons watch you. They know what triggers you and sets you off. And they can set up certain circumstances. They can attempt to do these things. To bring about a certain reaction. To bring about a, a, a person to, to a place where they just, you know, what's, they, they can throw up their hands and say, what's the use of fighting? But that's not standing when you say that, say that, not standing. Because I, I'm, I'm convinced of this, of this thing. God has no enemies. How can you be an enemy of God? How can Satan be an enemy of God? Oh, I know, in the technical sense, he is. But what can Satan do to God? I mean, if God decided that Satan no longer exists, he doesn't exist right now. It's, he's, it's over. He has that power. How do, you, how do you fight someone with that much power? Well, here's, here's, here's what I draw from that statement. Satan is nothing more than a pawn in the hands of God, if we have the faith to believe that. Otherwise, why does it say, if the powers that be had only known, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. They were nothing but a pawn in the hands of God to accomplish the will, to will what he wanted. Satan can come at you, try to bring about something that's going to occur, and you can see it, and things go all wrong, and you think it, it's, it's so bad. But if it really it isn't. What do you think Scripture means when it says, God causes all things to work together for good to them that love God and who are called according to his purpose? If you're called according to his purpose and you love God, there isn't anything that Satan can do to stop the plan of God. Nothing. If he comes in, thwarts something that you had, and it was obviously a demonic activity that caused this, it doesn't mean that God's plan has stopped. You have to stand. You have to be faithful. You have to believe that he is more powerful and more able to accomplish his purposes in you than Satan can stop the purposes of God in you. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers of darkness, authorities. Really, the only struggle we have with flesh and blood is ourself. You don't struggle against me. You struggle against your own flesh and blood. The flesh will provide nothing. The Spirit will give life. What is spiritual warfare to you? I want you to think about that. What is spiritual warfare to you? 
Here's one example. Psalms 37.8 says, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It leads only to evil doing. Do you fret about things? Philippians 4, 6 to 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's two things here. Fret not and do not be anxious about anything. I don't care how small it is or how big it is. Jesus is our example. Point to one place where Jesus was fretting. Point to one place where he was anxious about anything. He trusted his father. Even in the garden, when he was, Scripture says he was sweating as if it was great drops of blood, he cried out to his father, let this cup pass from me. But if it can't be, your will be done. He trusted his father more than he trusted emotions and feelings. I believe that that's, a, that's one of the things of spiritual warfare. Are you willing to trust Jesus more than your own fleshy ideas, more than your own emotions, more than the things that are coming at you? Are you willing to trust Jesus more than them? If you're not, then you're exalting all those issues as Lord and Jesus below them. I'm not going to exalt any of the struggles that I go through as Lord. Jesus is Lord. I was kind of joking with Pastor Dave that he likes to read from excerpts from C.S. Lewis. I like to read excerpts from Oswald Chambers my utmost for his highest. Um, I want to read this. And it's based on the verse of fret not thyself, it tendeth only to, lead to evil doing. Fretting means getting out at elbows mentally or spiritually. It is one thing to say fret not, but a very different thing to have such a disposition that you find yourself able not to fret. It sounds so easy to talk about resting in the Lord and waiting patiently for him until the nest is upset, until we live as so many are doing in tumult and anguish. Is it possible then to rest in the Lord? If this don't does not work there, it will work nowhere. This don't must work in the days of perplexity as well as in the days of peace or it never will work. And if it will not work in your particular case, it will not work in anyone else's case. Resting in the Lord does not depend on external circumstances at all, but on your relationship to God himself. Isn't that a revealing statement? When, you're not, when you can't rest in the Lord, that's telling something about your relationship with God. Do you know him enough to trust him in everything? Now, some may say, what does this got to do with spiritual warfare? Well, there's something about spiritual warfare and your ability 
to resist the devil and your ability to deal with the evil one and the evil things that can come at you that you have to earn. Oh, that sounds strange. I thought God just gave us everything. No. If I go over here and I fall to a temptation and then a minute later I go over here and confront the devil, who do you think is going to win? Ask the seven sons of Sceva. They said in the name of in the name that of Jesus that Paul preaches, come out. And it even came out all right. He came right after them and just beat them all up. You earn authority. You earn spiritual authority by living right, making good and godly choices. Yeah, you have some authority. You have, a, you have authority. You know, God gives you an authority. It's a, it's a grace. It's a given, given. When you get saved, you're taken out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It's a gift. And you have authority to, to overcome the evil one. But if you don't overcome him, if you don't resist him, what authority do you have? He's going to laugh at you because he knows the next time he can throw a temptation at you, you'll give in to it. It's called standing firm. I will not. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to put iron in your backbone so that you won't give in to him. It's trusting God no matter what the circumstances are. So if something, someone does something wrong to me, I don't look at that person. I trust God to take care of it. I pray for that person. I pray for me that I have a right heart towards that person. But I trust God. I don't wage war against another person. I wage war in the heavenly realm against the evil one, against his thoughts that he tries to put towards me. And against the things that he tries to, to suggest to me, the, how I ought to react to a certain person and, and, create, and, and create discord and disharmony. Those are not the things of the, of the Holy Spirit. Those are things of the evil spirit. <clears throat> Again, reading here, it says, Fussing always ends in sin. We imagine that a little anxiety and worry are an indication of how really wise we are. It is much more an indication of how really wicked we are. Fretting springs from a determination to get our own way. Being anxious comes from a determination to get our own way. You know, we, we cannot see everything that's out there. We see the physical realm. That's pretty easy to see. But some of us have a hard time even interpreting the physical realm. The closer you get to Jesus, the clearer the spiritual realm becomes. You don't need to know the devil and all his wicked ways. In fact, the Scripture says not to even know those things. But hear me rightly. You'll recognize those wicked ways and those wrong things because you know Jesus. You get to know Jesus, you'll recognize the ways of the, of the evil one. Not by studying them, but you'll just know them because they come in darkness. In God, there is no darkness 
at all. So if something comes in darkness, it's not of God. All fret and worry is caused by calculating without God. See, it speaks something, it speaks something. Do I really trust him enough that even though what I hope happens does not happen, that I'm still standing faithful to him? I'm going to use this example. My some of you know, my son lost his girlfriend. She just passed away. It was a tragedy for him. He does, he's not a believer. But it just put him into hysterics. He's far from home. He's a truck driver. I have a thousand questions. God, how is he going to make it? How can he go back to work all by himself? How can he be at the house that they had all by himself? How can he do these things? How can, how, how's he going to be able to do this? You know, I can't figure it out. But what God calls me to do is to not be anxious about it. And you know, I had to fight. I had to fight. This is spiritual warfare. I had to fight. Push it away. Push it away. I prayed about it, and I continue to pray about it. But don't let it create anxiety in me. Push it away. Let the Spirit of God work. Let the Holy Spirit work on this situation. Let the Holy Spirit do what he needs to do. Push it away. Be there for him. Help him any way I can. Do what I need to do. But don't be anxious. That's what the Scripture says. Be anxious for nothing. I don't care how bad it is. That's spiritual warfare. That's, getting, that's keeping things in the right perspective so I can see clearly, so I can function rightly. I want to go on to another one. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28 says, come on to me. Jesus said, come on to me. The Holy Spirit will show you what you have to do. Anything at all that will put the axe of the root at the root of the thing which is preventing you from getting through. You will never get further until you are willing to do that one thing. The Holy Spirit will locate one impregnable thing in you, but he cannot budge it unless you are willing to let him. Jesus is calling every one of us all the time, come on to me, come on to me. When this stuff happened that bothered me so much, all I could do was hear that, come on to me, come on to me and I'll give you peace. I'll give you rest. Jesus keeps saying to every one of us, come on to me, and there's a certain thing he wants us to do, and you will go no further unless you do that thing. He will expose it to you. He'll let you know. He'll tell you about it. Again, you might wonder, what does this have to do with spiritual warfare? I am trying to relay to you, to get to you, to realize that the things that we do in life in disobedience to Jesus do not, they take away any authority that we have to fight in the spiritual realm.
If Jesus is asking you to do something and you're just saying, no, I won't do that, you're not going any further. You're not going any further. The Holy Spirit can convict you of it. He can show you what it is. But you have to take the axe and cut the root of that thing and obey. That's your responsibility. In Luke 12, 58, 59, for while you are going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate on your way, there make an effort to settle with him in order that he may not drag you before the judge and the judge turn you over to the constable and the constable throw you into prison. I say to you, you shall not get out there out of there until you have paid the very last cent. Who is, who is the accuser? It's Satan. I've often wondered about this. If this passage never really made a lot of sense to me. But recently it's really come alive. Satan is an accuser. He can accuse you of something that you actually did, and he can be right in making that accusation. The place where he's wrong is if you have confessed it, it's finished. The accusation cannot stand. It's done. It is of no value whatsoever. However, if he makes that accusation to you, you will feel it. And his purpose is to make you feel guilty. Anyone here ever felt guilty? Couldn't figure out why? Ever felt that? Just feel guilty, but you don't know why? That's the evil one. When the Holy Spirit convicts, you know it. Exactly what it is. I'm going to say that again. When you feel guilty, but you don't know why, that's the evil one. When the Holy Spirit comes to you and convicts you of something, it will be crystal clear. And that conviction that you feel from the Holy Spirit will have with it hope that it will be okay if you respond to the Holy Spirit. The guilt feeling has nothing with it other than darkness, dullness, depression, and hopelessness. There's the spiritual war. Those are things that you need to know. So when guilt comes your way, you know how to deal with it. First of all, Scripture makes it very clear. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? There is no condemnation. Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I don't have a brother. Got one right there, I guess. <laughs> And I'll stick closer to him, no matter what he does, because <laughs> I love him. Jesus will stick closer than that. And if you sin, he doesn't run away from you. Why do you run away from him? Don't. Run right to him. And you're destroying the evil one right then and there. He can't accuse you of anything. He will but it has no basis in reality. It has no grounds of fact at all at that point. So 
this thing, his story that Jesus is telling you. You're on your way to a court. The accuser is walking there, and he's accusing you of, of doing something wrong. Jesus is saying, settle it with you. Settle it there before you get to the court. Otherwise, you're going to be thrown in jail, and you won't get out until you pay the whole price. Here's what I think he's saying. You're walking to the court. The evil one is accusing you and accusing you, and you're not knowing really how to fight against all this accusation. You're not, you're not settling it. So you finally get to the court, and, what is, and, and, and it's, in some sense, it's like you get thrown into a prison, and you're just desperate, and you feel like, like, you know, he's right. I did this. I did sin like that. I, I, what hope do I have? What right do I have to do anything that's right for the Lord? I mean, he must be angry at me. He's so holy and I'm so wicked and unholy. How can he like me? Ever heard any of that stuff come to, come to you? I have. Here comes the guilt again. And the purpose of the evil one at that point is to put you in jail and to hold you there so that you're totally useless to the kingdom. It's why I had the last couple verses of that text read. Pray for me also that the gospel, that I may open my mouth to spread the gospel. There's something about waging an effective spiritual warfare that allows for the gospel to be, to be preached with power and authority. How are, how are you feeling so guilty, feeling so, so like you're in prison, going to be able to proclaim the gospel when you feel like you're so wicked and evil? How are you going to tell somebody about the joy of the Lord, feeling that way? You can't. And that's exactly what the evil one wants to do to you. So on the way, he said, settle it. You know how you settle it? You're a liar, Satan. Yes, I did that. But you know what God said about it? As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed my transgressions from me, cast into the depths of the sea, never to be remembered again. And that's about all the conversation you want to have with the evil one. You don't want to talk to him very much. He's a liar and a deceiver. When Satan comes at me with the things he knows that used to pull me down, I use that verse. Every thought, every imagination, every image, every idea captive to the obedience of, of Jesus Christ. And then I'll say out loud, because he cannot read your mind. I'm going to say that again. He cannot read your mind. I will say out loud so he can hear it. Get out of here, Satan, with your lousy temptations. Leave. I will say it out loud. I hope nobody puts a recorder down my farm. <laughs> I have literally told Satan to go to hell. Because <laughs> I'm not going to. <laughs> I have another one here. In, in John eleven six. 6, this is Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, and the news has come to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. And here's what John eleven six 6 says. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, 
he abode two days in the same place where he was. Now, doesn't that make sense? My friend is sick, and Jesus stays where he's at for two days, doesn't go anywhere, and Lazarus dies. You would think Jesus would hurry off and get to where Lazarus was, but he didn't. He stayed there two days and waited. As far as Mary and Martha were concerned, Jesus was being silent, not saying anything. I think it was Raymond that brought up the point of, of uh, I can't, my, my, uh, Mother Teresa, there you go. They were interviewing her that she prayed a lot and said, what do you say to Jesus? Nothing. What does he say to you? Nothing. But she just stays there with him. They don't say much of anything. It, that, that thought really grabbed a hold of me, and then it wasn't but a few days later I read a passage in one of my little books here about the silence of God. And I've discovered over the last few years that I, I, I walk down my driveway. I got a quarter mile of a driveway, then I can walk down the road another half mile. And that's a lot of times where I do a lot of my praying, just walking, praying. And, and I've discovered over the, in the last few months that a lot of times I'm walking down there, I'm not saying a thing. And, I, I, and I, I'm convinced that Jesus doesn't want me to say anything. He just wants, there, wants me to be there with him silently. I don't really hear anything that he's saying to me but I know he's there. And I'm convinced that that's a gift that we can get from, that we can receive from the, from the Lord and from, from the Holy Spirit, that as we're, we're there with him, he, in some way, he's speaking into the depths of our being and doing something, even though we can't quite figure out what it is, but it's just being with him. It's changing everything. What do you think your life would be like if all of a sudden you were in the manifested physical presence of Jesus, the Lord, right there with him, and he wrapped his arms around you? Do you think it would change your life? I think there's some sense that that happens when we're just in, in the presence of the Lord. I mean, so, so many times I, I know he's there. I can, I, don't ask me how I know. I just know. Other times it's hard for me to know, but I still feel like I just need to be silent. God silences our answers. The silence to Mary and Martha resulted in agony and death of their brother. But that same silence showed Mary and Martha who Jesus really is. I am the resurrection and the life. Are there times like that in your life where Jesus is silent about a matter? His silence is the sign that he is bringing you into a marvelous understanding of himself. Are you mourning before God because you have not had an audible response? You will find that God has trusted you in the most intimate way possible with an absolute silence not of despair, but of pleasure, because he saw that you could stand a bigger revelation. If God has given you a silence, praise him. He is bringing you into the great run of his purposes. 
If Jesus Christ is bringing you into the understanding that prayer is for the glorifying of his Father, he will give you the first sign of his intimacy, silence. He was silent with Mary and Martha, but when he finally got to them, oh, what they saw when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And it wasn't just words. He said to Lazarus, come forth, and he did. They met Jesus in a way they never knew him before. They agreed, yes, you are, but they saw him now in a way they had never seen him before. And that silence is another place where I think our text from Ephesians says, stand. Because if you don't stand in a place like that, I really believe you're going to miss a very great revelation of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit to your very heart. And you don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss it. Back in around 1998-99 this church i know most of you back probably all of you except for paul were not even here then we met at 49th and louise a little office building there and we had a prayer team that met every tuesday and thursday at noon There was about four or five of us praying. We prayed for this church. It was called Family Life Ministries at that time. We prayed for this church. It was twice, twice a week for an hour, hour and a half. And we encountered incredible things. One of the one of the men that prayed with us is no longer part of this congregation. He left quite a few years ago, but he had an uncanny ability to maneuver through the spiritual realm with great discernment and understanding, and, 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 and it, was, it was incredible. But there are times, when, there were times I, think, I think it went on for several weeks, we would gather together there and just sit in a chair in a circle and we just sit there. And nobody would pray. Nothing was said. It would go on for an hour. Just total silence. And sometimes at the end, when we knew we were, we were done, either he, th that person that I just spoke of or myself or some, someone else in the group would just say, I think this is what the Lord has been trying to tell us during this time of silence. And we just like, wow. Next time we come, think we're going to pray out loud, silence. I'm convinced that those times of prayer twice a week, back when we were, back when things were really tumultuous back there, I mean, we, we weren't very big. Maybe 20 people. 25 people, 30, I don't know, I can't remember for sure. 
uh, those prayers, I think, pushed this church into places where we never thought we'd ever be able, ever be able to go. A lot of spiritual warfare took place in those times. But in those times of silence, the standing is so important. I want to... Take one more passage here. John 14, 30. This is what Jesus said. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. The ruler of this world, Satan, was coming through the, through the betrayal, the God of this world. But Jesus made this statement, he has nothing in me, he can't touch me. Jesus' life was perfect. He did not sin. He faced temptations. He overcame them all. In the Garden of Gethsemane, which I've already mentioned, sweating drops as if they were like blood falling from him, and crying out to his Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. He stood faithful. I honestly and truly believe that every one of us as believers can say the same thing that Jesus said here. The evil one is coming at me, but he has nothing in me. That is the scope and the perfection of the salvation that Jesus brought to us. Otherwise, why does the scripture say if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are made new. Your disposition has been changed. Radically altered from this world and the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And when you come to the understanding that you can honestly say, because all that you have ever done, all the sins, all the thoughts, all the wrong things are under the blood, washed away, gone, never to be remembered again. And God means that. He will not hold you accountable for them. They're paid for. If you have been transferred out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Father's beloved Son, Jesus, out of dominion of darkness means Satan has no authority over you. He acts like he does. He says he does. He does not. He has no authority over you. Do not give in to him. Do not yield to his temptations. Do not surrender your life to him. You have a new life. And you can say with Jesus, the evil one is coming, but he has nothing in me. That's the shield of faith that holds off all the fiery darts of the evil one. You can resist him. You can overcome him. But you've got to know the truth. You were transferred from the dominion, the authority of darkness, 
into the kingdom of the Father's beloved Son. And you are now beloved daughters and sons of the Father. You stand in the same place that Jesus, and he did it for you on the cross. That's your warfare against the evil one and all the world and the flesh and everything that wants to come at you. You do not have to surrender to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. You do not walk in humility with a contrite heart in the fear of the Lord and tremble at his word. And the promise of Isaiah 66 is, his eyes are upon you. This one I will look to, who is humble and contrite of spirit and trembles at my word. And you can live victoriously over the evil one. I don't care what your weakness is. I know what mine were. And they almost brought me over the cliff into the pits of hell. But when I said yes to Jesus, that ended it. And none of his temptations have succeeded. None of them. And I don't say that in bragging. I say it only because of what Jesus has done. Only because he put the steel and the iron in me and enabled me to stand. And enabled me to hold a shield of faith. I fight him every day. Constantly. I wake up in the morning sometimes and I'm so depressed. I just don't even want to do anything. What is that? Do you know what depression does to you? I don't live in depression because I've found a way to fight against it. And you don't have to live in depression. Now, I'm going to tell you right, right off the beginning, not all depression is demonic. There are other causes for it. But either way, you need prayer. Whether you're depressed because of some chemical imbalance or something other, other reason, or whether it's demonic, prayer can change that. I'm gonna, Wendell and Susan, do you remember back in the other, other building, the other church, when I came to you years ago and said, would you pray for me? I feel really depressed. Well, I did. I did several times I came to you. Do you know that, that immediately after that, no depression. The prayer took it away. That was demonic. I fight depression. And I have to constantly. But I don't have to live under it all the time. I do wonder about it. Is there something physically going on here that, that might, might cause? I don't know. Because I know that my mother was horribly depressed in the last years of her life. She struggled with it terribly. So is there something genetic? I don't know. But I'll take prayer for it any day. Depression. I think is one of the 
weapons that the evil one wants to use against every one of us. Depression is like, is like a weight that just, it's heavy, and it doesn't want to let up. It's like a chain wrapped around you that just keeps you from, so you don't want to do anything. You want to do nothing. You'd rather get lost in a movie, lost in a book you can read. You just don't want to do anything, but when you stop reading the book, what happens? You're still depressed. You walk away from the movie, you're still depressed. You don't want to do nothing. It's designed, if, when, it's, when it's demonic, it is designed for this purpose. To make you want relief so badly that you'll just about go after anything to get relief from it. And the devil's intention, the Satan's intention at that point is to get you to the place where you'll seek out an unholy comforter. Some will turn to drugs, some will turn to alcohol, some will turn to illicit sex. Some will turn to just about anything. But none of those things are described in the Scripture as the comforter. Only the Holy Spirit is to call the comforter. That's the purpose of him trying to get you depressed, to get you to sin, to rob you of authority to stand against him, to rob you of the right that you have to say, the evil one is coming, but he has nothing in me. Do pray with me. Father, I pray that you would help each one of us. I know this is probably a, a different way of looking at spiritual warfare. But spiritual warfare starts in the, in the heart of every one of us. Are we going to stand with Jesus or are we going to cave in and not stand? I don't want to cave in. Because I want to speak the truth to people who, who are around me. I want to stand as a, as a representative of you. And when I'm faithful to you and I trust you explicitly, completely, I can bear witness of who you really are. Jesus, you said, the Son of Man has come into the world for this purpose, to destroy and undo the works of the evil one. I pray, Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus, undo and destroy the works of the evil one in every one of us, that we may be about the works that you have chosen for us from the foundation of the world to accomplish the purposes that you have, that you might be glorified and lifted up high and exalted because Jesus, you said that when you are lifted up, you would draw all men unto yourself. Do that in our lives. And help us to know how to stand firm. To love you beyond anything else in this world. In Jesus' name.